welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. My, my name is Orion Williams, and I'm here with Peter Willis. And we're going to talk some Bible. You sound wondering... like you're hosting a golf game. I thought I would try something different. I normally come in with so much energy, and people are probably have to adjust their volume, so I figured if I start, I'm getting excited. I need to settle down. I feel if I just start it like here, then they'll have to turn the volumes up later. <laughs> but then oh, no, what if da- we get down, really down excited? Later. Down later. Shh, I'm getting excited. Oh, again. Sorry. Yes. I'm trying to change the dynamic of the way people listen to this program. All right. <laughs> it's worked for 24 episodes. It's part of my metagame. All right. Nobody All right. else is playing but me. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry I interrupted your introduction, as you were, sir. So... So, uh, yeah, Peter's at the other end of this very long table that we're using today. Uh, normally, we have a shorter table, and this matters not to anybody listening. But in, just so you can get the visual of the intimate setting that we normally have is now broken because I had to return a borrowed table, and now we have a, this other table. It's just gigantic. It's like that scene from Batman, the, the real Batman, not these fake ones that they made later, like with Christian Bale and Val Kilmer, the real Batman. <gasps> Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Yes. yes. Okay. In that that first Batman movie. I I met Val Kilmer at a con this year, and so I'm a little partial to his Batman because I haven't met Michael Keaton. Okay, that's why. Yeah, sure. Oh wow, that's I, that's the ranking system. People I've met, number one. People <laughs> I haven't met, uh, fight it out. Maybe <laughs> meet yeah, me. Come yeah, meet me. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> wow. Uh, Michael Keaton, if you're listening. But Adam West, really. <laughs> this is not this podcast. No, it's a different <laughs> podcast. We need, to, we need to have a roll. What are we doing? We're episode 26 of the More Than Hearers podcast. And that's what this is. A podcast about Bible-related discussions and occasionally Batman. Um, okay, if you want to get a hold of us and get this business out of the way, uh, we are emailable podcast at morethanhearers.com. We're Facebookable at facebook.com slash morethanhearers. And then there's our Twitter contacts. I'm at Orion Plays Music. Peter is at MTH underscore Peter. And today we're in the book of Luke, chapter four, I think. Chapter four. Intro done. What's next? Episode 26. I had to look while you were talking. You doubted. I saw that. No. uh, Well, that's not why. Okay. The previous episode was episode 25. Which I think we even commented on was the silver anniversary. Oh. 25th yeah. anniversary is silver anniversary. So I had to look and see. What is 26? What is 26? 26 does not have a traditional gift, but the modern gift is original pictures. Interesting. Podcast at morethanhearers.com. We would love your original pictures. Yes. Please, by all means, email them in. And scones. And scones. The 27th anniversary, are you ready for this? What is the gift for the 27th? Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, homemade jewelry. Sculpture. Ah. Close. No. <laughs> I'm going to confess. The reason why I was so excited about it is I misread it initially and thought it said scripture. Mm, <laughs> that would be relevant. Yes. <laughs> then somebody would have Googled it and been like, he's a moron and he can't read sculpture. <laughs> so I'm glad I blew it up a little bit. It's better if you catch it yourself. Yeah, well, so much for that. Or is it? Well, today we're going to give scripture anyway. Sure. <laughs> Orion wasn't wrong. We are in Luke 
chapter 4. We are working our way through the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to keep moving forward. So Luke chapter 4, um, most of you know this story, this account in Scripture that's at the start of Luke 4 by uh, one term. And then you're going to notice that in different places, it's got a different term depending on what version you're working in. So in the latest edition of the NIV that's that's had some of the language modernized, um, it's Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Most of us know it by Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And if you're in an NIV, uh, in verse 2, you'll see the word tempted, and there's a footnote that says the Greek for tempted also means tested. It's the same word. It's the same thing. Call it whatever you want. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Okay, here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He left the Jordan because he'd been baptized by John, where for 40 days he was tempted or tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I love the insight that Luke gives here, how he opens up the life of Jesus in ways we just maybe couldn't see on the page. He says Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days, and so he was hungry. Shouldn't it say, duh, I would at think. the end? Because for me, it's like Peter didn't eat for 40 minutes. <laughs> I was going to say 40 hours, but that's never going to happen. That, yeah, right. 40 minutes, uh, probably. Uh, I'm going to be. No, that's not true. The uh, duh is implied. I figured it yeah, out. Yeah, I was just trying to make it funny out of it. So Jesus is tempted for 40. He's, he's in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's hungry. And it's so basic, and we kind of joked about it. But it makes sense because of what happens next. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, and we know he is, tell this stone to become bread. He's going to hit him right where he's at. Jesus is hungry. 40 days, no food. I don't know if you knew this or not, but um, hunting in the desert, not really the best place to find food. There are no tacos just lying around in the desert. Um, I not at all. Anyway, here we go. So Jesus answers him. It is written, this is verse four, man shall not live on bread alone. It's Deuteronomy 8, 3. And uh, so then it says, verse five, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him again, and he quotes scripture again. He says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's Deuteronomy 6.13, by the way. And so then... Can I... Can yeah, I, please. Cause, you yeah. know, you have a thought. I do, but I'm getting... It's further on, so go. Okay. You and I talked off podcast about... This is this, this week, about um, whose world is this? <laughs> you know, like... We did just have this conversation. It's about the weather. Yeah. And, um, and I cited... Uh, uh, scripture calls Satan, or the devil, the, the god of this world. The, and that can mean a couple different things. Uh, it, most people would probably be most comfortable saying, well, that's he is what is attributed to the unrighteous part of the world, right? I mean, like, we are, as believers in Jesus, professors of Christ, we're still, like... Uh, in the world, but we're, we're supposed to not be of the world or all that, you know, whatever you want to call that. But like, we're still part of planet Earth. Yeah. But we live you, here. Yeah. 
yeah. for some time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the whole spiritual aspect of of the the referring to Satan as the god of this world, most people are probably most comfortable calling it you know like well in a spiritual way like that. But in this verse, because I say it goes deeper than that, Satan presents that he has. What does he say? Uh, he says, all of this uh, has been given to me, uh, and I can yeah. give to anyone. Yeah. Satan said that to Jesus. Jesus did not correct him. Jesus didn't go, uh-uh. No, not yours. Yeah. No, my dad's, or, yeah. or mine even. Like, he, he, didn't, he didn't do that, right? Right. So, anyway, that's that interesting to me. Like, watch out, everybody. This is Satan's dominion. The kingdom of God is here, but it's still a scary place. It is, and and you brought it up, so I'm going to take it a step further because I had found this quote um, from A.W. Pink that I liked, and I shared it with Orion, and I was like, what do you think? And he goes, I like it, but it's wrong. And, and, um, and so I'll read you the quote. It says this. It says, when we complain about the weather, we are in reality murmuring against God. And so I, I was like, oh, man, that's, that's good stuff. Um, but then I brought it to Orion, and he goes, yeah, it's good. It, it's wrong. And you brought me this whole, uh, you know, where the Bible talks about Satan being the, the prince of this world or whatever. Yeah, the prince and power of the air. Right. And, and the god of this world. And then in our – this is where iron sharpening iron happens, guys. In our discussion back and forth about this was brought to my mind the, the passage, and it's going to come up in Luke in a few chapters, but – um, Jesus is in a boat uh, on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and a storm comes up. And he's sleeping it off in the – and he's not sleeping it off. He's taking a nap uh, down at the bottom of the ship, and the disciples are freaking out. And so they wake him up, and they're like, we're going to die. And it says that Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. And I thought, man, so – this quote, when we complain about the weather, we're murmuring against God, has this implication that God is in control of all of the weather, which God is more than able to mm-hmm. control all the Agreed. weather. But to say that every piece of weather is ordained or orchestrated by God, then why would Jesus have needed to rebuke the weather mm-hmm. in that passage? And so it was it was a cool moment we had where it was yes. like, oh, 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 oh. Uh, so not every quote you read by every uh, historical theologian is totally accurate. Mm-hmm. If it moves you, it moves you. Cool. But um, make sure you come back it with Scripture. That's right. So, good. Yeah. So we're going to keep moving because uh, I want to get to the third temptation, and then I want to come back and talk about all three. So, um, verse 9, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's Psalm 91, 11 and 12. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy six sixteen. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So there's a, there's a lot and a little here all at once. I told Orion, uh, as we were kind of prepping and setting up today, I said, this passage is really easy to skim over. Pick out a few high points, some things to remember, and move on. Um, But knowing the two of us, we might get into it deeper. So I'm going to give you the high points, and we're going to see where it takes us. The high points are this. With each temptation, with, with each thing, Jesus is hungry. It's 40 days without food. Um, I'm not signing up for the 40 day without food challenge. The Lord calls me to it by all means, but I really, 
I really don't want to do it. Um, and so the the devil hits him with, uh, just tell the stone to become bread. If you're hungry, man, like there's stones everywhere. Just make one bread. I mean, manna from heaven happened. Why, why can't you just get some bread? And Jesus hits him with scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone. And so the devil goes, oh, I'll give you everything if you worship me. And Jesus goes, nope. Here's some more Bible. Worship your God and love him only or serve him only. And he hits him a third time. But this time the devil hits him with scripture and goes, fine, if we're playing Bible games, let's play them. Throw yourself off of here. The Bible says he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift your hands so you don't strike your foot against a stone, which you should make bread anyway. It's not in there. Be softer. <laughs> Jesus says, uh, if you're going to hit me with Bible, we got to hit the whole Bible. And the whole Bible says... Uh, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And so one of the easiest, like, if you're ever teaching a Bible study and you're like, I don't know what to teach on, I don't know about the Bible, take temptation to Jesus and talk about how you can answer temptation or struggles or things you're facing with Scripture. Like, the answer to every temptation is in the Bible. That's one of the easy ones. Um, One of the other ones that's here for me uh, is... It might be a little bit of a stretch. It might not. But I think I've shared recently on the podcast, I know I've shared in some other places that I personally, in my own personal study, have been stuck on the first three chapters of Genesis for uh, it's almost a year now. I personally have been stuck. Not that I haven't read past there. I just keep coming back to it. Something keeps drawing me back to the first three chapters of Genesis. And in a lot of ways, these are the original temptations of, um, you know, the first one, Jesus is hungry and he goes, hey, uh, make this stone become bread. And it says back in Genesis, and I'm not going to flip there, but you can if you want. But after the serpent's gone on and on with Eve about the whole thing, it says when she saw that the the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for food. That that whole food concept goes back to the original temptation. And then um, that... uh, that I'll give you all authority, give you, um, he, he shows him the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. And it's that whole idea of um, where the serpent says to Mary, well, God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be just like him. You will have everything that God has. The only thing you lack is what you'll gain by eating this fruit. If you just do this one thing, you've got everything. It's kind of the original temptation again. Um, the third one doesn't really relate, <laughs> but two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. But there's so much to um, some of these base temptations that Jesus faced, and I call them base not to diminish them, but to understand that the root of almost everything we struggle with is in these things. Yeah, that basic doesn't mean doesn't necessarily denote um, like Easy. stupid or right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just uh, it's it's foundational, you could say, or fundamental. Yeah, almost every sin we're tempted with can be drawn back to these three things, or if nothing else can be drawn uh, back to the serpent and Eve standing at the tree that she's not supposed to even be eaten from. Right. So um, that's the other thing. The uh, The final one is a lot of us who've been in church for any length of time go, uh, we want to quote the verse that says, God won't let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear, but it'll provide a way out, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, um I'm not saying that scripture is not true, but we've got to look at the Bible in the context of the Bible, right? And so verse 13, something to remember. It says, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. 
It's not like, oh, that's all the temptation you get. Mm. You're good for the rest of your life. He's going to come back. He's going to tempt again. And at an even more opportune time. Uh, not for you. Uh, exactly. But for I should say, I should almost say inopportune time. But speaking about right. Jesus. But but yeah, it's an opportune time for the devil. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Yeah. It's, it, it depends it, on which it, side of that you're on. Yeah, exactly. And, and just as an encouragement, he doesn't play fair. Um. That he, was encouraging. You got to work on that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I got to think of a better way to say that. More encouraging. You got me. Uh, <laughs> in that, like, if you feel like you're constantly tempted with the same thing over and over and over again, and you're like, "Gosh, I feel like I should have beaten this by now." One, somebody said this in a Bible study I was in like ten years ago, and it made my head explode. Not literally, but um, there is no sin in temptation. Being tempted is not sinful. And I didn't quite understand that for a long time. Uh, I always felt condemnation the moment I was tempted to do something. Like, oh, I want to do that? Uh, filthy, ugly, dirty sinner. Like I hadn't even done anything yet. There is no sin in temptation. Sin creeps in when we give in to temptation and end up doing the thing we're not supposed to do that we're tempted with. So encouragement there. Uh, just because you're tempted doesn't isn't inherently sinful. Um, the other thing is, is if you feel like you're constantly tempted with the same thing, it's because the devil doesn't play fair. It's not like, um, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with examples on the absurd ends of the spectrum. Like if your sin of choice is rolling through stop signs, mm. it's not like the devil, the devil's going to show up one day and tempt you with heroin. Okay. He's going to tempt you with stop signs. So He's going to put you on a route that has a lot of stop signs. Right. Exactly. You've got to go somewhere where there are a lot of stop signs. Uh, I just got a red light ticket in the mail. Oh, wow. For making a right on red That's without the... stopping. Oh. Yeah. They got me on camera. And I was hoping it was just a picture, but they got me on video. They sent... Oh, okay. They, I got it in the mail. Yeah. it's They got a great picture of me. Which is funny because my son was with me in the passenger seat. They blurred his face out on the picture they sent me. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting good at this. <laughs> Why couldn't they blur my face out? Then I could have denied that it was – no, I, that's lying. But, but that's the thing. I, uh, if your temptation is speeding – uh, if I'm preaching to anybody, I'm preaching to myself. Then the devil's going to give you a fast car. Uh, well, or uh, but <laughs> that doesn't necessarily work out. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I can speed in a slow car, um, but you're not going to get tempted with robbing liquor stores. You get what I'm saying? Why not like, both? Porque no las dos. Um, he does, he just doesn't play fair. He's going to tempt you at the stuff he knows works. Right. The, he's and he's going to do it at an opportune time for himself, not pick for you. At the, at the sore, the, the right. weak spot. Going to attack the weak spot. If your temptation is robbing liquor stores, he's not going to tempt you while you're nowhere near a liquor store. It's going to be while you're in the parking lot where there's a liquor store. It's a more opportune time. Okay. So uh, that was probably really obvious, but sometimes I feel like it's worth saying. Because when we're struggling with temptation, it's really hard to remember in the moment. Um that it's just a game. Um, I had this revelation for myself um, a few years ago. And again, some of the stuff I think I share with you guys and you're like, duh, what do you mean you had a revelation? Like everybody knows that. Well, I didn't. So <laughs> there's that. This whole temptation game, uh, it's really not about you. The devil doesn't give one care about you. 
He doesn't give a darn about you whatsoever. And so often I think when we're tempted, we're tempted with something that we think would make us happy. We think this thing wants me to be happy. The devil doesn't really care about you. What he cares about is he knows that God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. God loves me and wants the best for me and wants me to be with him. And the the battle is between the two of them, really. And the devil's just using us as pawns to poke God. Ah, knocked off another one. (laughs) Separated another one from you. Separated another one from you. Separated another one from you. And meanwhile, we're here going, oh, this is going to make me happy. And we're just being used in a game. It's when you start to realize you're just being used, hopefully, if nothing else, that gives you, I'm not doing this crap. I'm not playing your, I'm not being party to your game. Yeah, it's so much easier to serve and to follow the one who gave up for us instead of the one that's using us. I don't know. That's so good. I, I, uh, I pray that we can remember that when it, when it counts. I, I, it came to me five, six years ago. I struggle remembering it when it counts. Yeah. But it's, I it's, think the more we share it's it. pure gold. Okay, good. Here we go. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He must have not had a podcast. <laughs> Sorry, it's too easy. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you're, if you're looking for it, it's Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and Isaiah 58, 6. Verse 20 says, Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it's unfortunate that this was first century because he had no mic to drop. I know. I was thinking this was as close as you can get to the first mic drop. It's like the ultimate (laughs) mic drop moment. It's so good. It's a polite mic drop, right? He rolls it up. (laughs) Sits down. We're done here. Yeah. (laughs) And everybody's just looking at him and he's like. That's it. All of this is done here. It's just the fact that you heard it is good enough. Let's close in prayer. That's <laughs> uh, so good. It, and, and this seems weird to us because if you're a church person at all, this seems like a foreign concept. Uh, the way they did uh, synagogue meetings in the first century, it helps to understand that a little bit. It was common practice. Um, the synagogues weren't necessarily led by a Levite or a priest because they were all in Jerusalem working at the temple. This is a couple of hours from Jerusalem, Galilee is, uh, by car. Nazareth? Nazareth, Galilee in general. The Galilee area, Sea of Galilee, southern shore of the Sea of Galilee. My geometry is not so good. I think it's 100. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) Oh, man, that almost went right over my head. (laughs) Your geography isn't very good either, nor your English. Um, By car, I think it's about 120 miles from Jerusalem to Galilee. I could be wrong. It's a couple of hours by car, as I recall. 
Uh, it's a couple of days walk for sure, if not more. But um, the way that synagogue meetings happened is the local Jews would come together in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Someone would read from the scroll and share what they thought about it. Maybe a rabbi or whatever would share their thoughts on it. And everyone would uh, nod along or interject or whatever, and then they'd go home. They'd just come together to share the scriptures together. And so that's what happens here. He goes into the synagogue on a Sabbath, um, and they're like, oh, Jesus is back in town. We're hearing good things. You mind uh, reading from the scroll today? I'd love to. Here, have this one. And it's Isaiah, and Jesus unrolls it, and he wrote it. So he knows what it says. Not that Jesus is Isaiah, but all scriptures God breathed for out of the mouth of God, Jesus is God. Jesus wrote it. Okay, you with me? Good. And so he unrolls it, and he goes, oh, this is the good part. Like, And the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And normally, normally in a synagogue setting like this, the rabbi would go, "Uh, what the prophet Isaiah is saying here is this, that, and the other thing. Or even, especially like in modern synagogues today, Rabbi Orion would go, Rabbi Steve says about this, and Rabbi John says this about this, and I would say this about this. May you be blessed in the hearing. That's how it would go. But Jesus reads it. He rolls up the scroll. He hands it back to the guy who's handing out scrolls, and he just sits down. And everybody's like, is he going to say something? He's got to say something, right? Like, shouldn't he say something? And they're all looking at him. And so he goes, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What? Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Because he's, he's a carpenter's kid. He's not a rabbi's kid. He's, how did he even learn any of this? And so Jesus says to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Because he's already been healing people and whatever else. And verse 24, he says, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath. Fath, the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and they took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. That escalated quickly. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way, like ultimate ninja warrior type like just disappeared in the midst of the crowd. You know, it's it's an interesting passage, uh, verse 24 through 27, um, because it really sets up the rest of the New Testament. It really sets up the book of Acts. And it's it's got to be in here because when Luke wrote this, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke well into the advancement of the early church. And so the word of God was moving out to uh, the Gentiles at the time. It was spreading faster among Gentiles than it was among Jews. And so as Luke's writing the story of Jesus, he's like, oh, I got, <laughs> I got to get this in. 
I shared with you uh, on the podcast a couple episodes ago when we went through the Christmas story about how it says Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And Luke had to have known this probably from sitting down with Mary at some point in time of like, tell me about when Jesus was a boy. And she's like, I got to tell you, man, it, we're, we're there. We're in this stable with this baby and these shepherds show up. And I got to think this story. And she's like, Luke, did I ever tell you about the time Jesus came and preached at home in our synagogue? And Luke's like, no, she goes, it was crazy. So he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah. He reads, he reads uh, Isaiah, I already forgot, 61, I think. Um, uh, yeah, 61, 1 and 2. And Isaiah 58, 6. And Luke goes, you're kidding me. And she goes, no. And he sat down and everybody's looking at him. And he goes, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And Luke goes, you're What? He did what? She goes, yeah. Then they got really mad. They got really mad because he called them out. And uh, I told them, you know, or Jesus told them, like, Isaiah, or, um, sorry, Elijah didn't even heal or take care of a widow in Israel. He went to one way out of Israel. And then she goes, and it was crazy because then he went on to Elisha and how Elisha healed the name in the Syrian of leprosy, even though there were probably hundreds or thousands of people in Israel with leprosy at the time. He told them what's happening now was going to happen. And Luke goes, I've got to put that in. I've got to put that in because that's exactly what's happening. Is Jesus has come and the gospel has come, but it's going everywhere. And Israel's mad. But it's been happening since the time of Elijah and Elisha. This is not a new thing God is doing. Because that was the big argument in the first century. That was the big argument the Jews we're coming at is God is the God of Israel. He's the God of the Jews. He wants nothing to do with filthy, disgusting Gentiles. And Jesus and even Paul and Peter and these other guys are going, no, no, no. He's been dealing with Gentiles since the beginning. You just didn't want to see it. You were more interested in being the people of God than being the people of God. All right. I get worked up about this stuff because I love it. So all the people in the synagogue are mad. They run him out of town. They get him to this cliff, and they're like, let's just throw him off. He's just Joseph's kid. They'll make more carpenters' kids. And it, it says he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I just love it. It's so cool. He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. Verse 32, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus goes, That's right. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The demon threw the man down before them all. And came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed, and they said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue, and he went to the home of Simon. Uh, This is Peter, by the way. Uh, Jesus changed his name to Peter, but Simon, Simon Peter, Simon Simon is Peter. Peter. Okay. I don't know why it says Simon in here, but it does. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Wow. Get to work. (laughs) It's so crazy. Like, I've shared this before. I am bummed that in a lot of places in Scripture, we see Jesus heal and end story. 
We don't know what happened next. We don't know what the people did next. This is the only one really where we have what happened next. So you get to Simon's house and Jesus, you can all see it like the disciples walking with Jesus and Jesus is like, Peter, isn't this your neighborhood? And he's like, yeah, we really can't. My wife's going to kill us if we show up right now. Like my mother-in-law's visiting and the other 11 are like, oh, that's the worst. And he's like, and she's sick as a dog. She's been in my house. She's got a fever. She won't go home because she's sick. And my, I'm annoyed with it. And I'm telling my wife we're trying to do this ministry thing and like water into wine. And you, you just cast a demon out. And she, really, we shouldn't come over. Jesus is like, I got you, man. Don't worry about it. We will be no trouble. And so Peter's like, you don't know my wife. You don't know my mother-in-law. I'm, this is a lot of conjecture here. Just ride with me on it. They get to the house. And uh, so... Jesus, you do something about this old lady, like with her fever in my house. So Jesus gets, he bends over her, it says, and he rebuked the fever like it's an entity. He just, leave this woman alone. And it's not like she like rubbed her eyes like you'd see in a movie where she's like, oh, I'm fe- someone bring me water. I'm feeling much better. She's like, you guys want some cookies? Mm. I'm, I'm going to make some cookies. Yeah. And it's so here, but it's not, I'd be remiss to not say it. When we're touched by Jesus, when Jesus does a work in our lives, we best get up and serve him. Not like wait on him hand and foot, but like wait on him hand and foot. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want from me? I'm here for whatever you need. You've touched me in some way. You've had some impact in my life. You've made some change in my life. What am I to do? it's a simple two verses, really, but there's uh, uh, quite a bit there in it. Verse uh, 40. At sunset, the people brought Jesus, brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and there were people looking for him. And when he came to, when they came to where he was, he tried. They tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said, "I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent." And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Oh, Ryan, I got a question for you. I had a thought also. Oh, please. No, your, your thought you, first. Really? Yeah, please. Because you were just going to go right into that. I did, but it's fine. I, can, oh. I won't forget. Okay. There's twice here. They're separated by several verses, but uh, first in uh, 34, where this demon, which little side note thing, uh, comic book fans, I like a little comic book reference, but like th- there's this creepy thing that people do in comic books and movies where an individual speaks and uses the plural pronouns like us and we. Yeah. It's always creepy every time. Yeah. But it comes from this habitation or whatever, this uh, incarnation is not the right word, but a, a possession. Uh-huh. You know, we use that word where a demon is, is taken over and the demon is doing the speaking and in the, we have one case in the Bible where it's multiple demons. Legion, a yeah. A thousand or yeah. more. One of my favorite stories. And, uh, but we have that here. Like, this is, I mean, that, that when Venom, you know, that Spider-Man's nemesis, who is a, an alien symbiote and a guy together, and they say, we are Venom. That, that's so creepy. And it comes from this, which is like the ultimate creepy, a, a demonic possession. What do you want the with Bible us? Two thousand yeah. years ago. Uh, I think that's neat that, I mean, 
it's creepy, but again, like that, that come, you know, so much comes back to God in the Bible. Uh, but they, the demon here professes Jesus. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus says. Later in 40, what, 41, uh, the demons come out saying, you are the Son of God, and he rebukes them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Why? I was actually, this is the question I was going to ask you. Okay. I have a thought on it, but I'd love to hear if you have any. I know there's, there's a, this is not helpful, but uh, there's a couple, at least one example where Jesus, I feel like there's multiple, you could tell me, but uh, where Jesus heals someone, a man or a woman, not necessarily demon possessed. And he says, go and make sure you tell no one what I've done. I just preached on this on Sunday. Right. Yeah, uh, Jesus heals the man with leprosy. Yeah. And he goes, says, uh, don't tell anybody. Goes, go and do the regular ritual stuff that you're supposed to do according show to the yourself law. to the priest. Yeah. But don't tell anybody. Why? Ah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have any I don't have anything there. I, I have I had one thought in this case, and it's it's a two legged table. Which means it doesn't stand up real well at all. It doesn't stand up unless it's leaning against a wall or something. Yeah, okay, so yeah. Two so legged. Two -legged <laughs> Is that table. a thing? A two legged table? Uh, th maybe it's a three legged zebra. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's better. <laughs> that's better. That's I, better visual. I don't know why it's a zebra, and not a giraffe, <laughs> but three-legged zebra. Um, is uh, back to Romans. That's where I, all my theology now lives. Go with Romans. what you know, Peter. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. Our uh, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Our righteousness, according to to Romans three and four and even five, is by faith. Okay. And I wonder if Jesus just wanted it hushed so that each individual person, each of us, could come to the knowledge of him as the Messiah on our own and certainly not have to use demons to proclaim the good news. It's, it, it's a reach. It, it, it actually it makes some sense but because – here's why it makes sense to me. Because I want God to make it known to people – that he is God. So Beyond that, that a reasonable we can doubt. get rid of this whole faith thing, right. really, if I'm honest. Like, hey, whose idea was this faith thing? Let's just make it knowledge, and then we won't need to, you know, uh, hey, do, do you or don't you believe? Like, well, everyone knows. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's why it makes sense. I, because I don't like it in my, in my flesh, in my natural man. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't either. I don't think it's fair or whatever. I shared from the pulpit Sunday, I wish the verse said, uh, we are being transformed by the renewal of our mm -hmm. minds. We're not even being transformed. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds. But instead it says, we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's this continual process. I, I just want to go, I believe in Jesus, done, and don't have to question, don't have to doubt, don't have to nothing. And I, I don't want to have to convince people that he's real. I want people to know that he's real. I know. You know. We know. Why can't you just know? Like God just, uh, when I was going through, um, when my first marriage fell apart, I can remember at one point praying to God, God, just, uh, just get a hold of her in a way where she can't back down. He doesn't work like that. As soon as I prayed it, I was like, that's the dumbest thing you've ever prayed because God won't do that. That violates our free will. He won't do that. 
I so desperately want him to do that sometimes. Even for me. Right. Make it impossible for me to sin anymore. Please, by all means. Uh, it's dead. I gotta die. I'd have to be dead. I, yeah, that's what's gonna have to happen. But it'd be so much easier. This I was gonna call it this stupid faith thing, but yeah. it sounds almost blasphemous. <laughs> I've been hit by lightning before and uh, not going for a threefer. Um uh, yeah, it's it. I think so much of it, and and there's probably theologians out there who are like, "You got faith out of Jesus telling demons to be quiet? That's not what it means. It means this. It's what I got. Mm-hmm. It's what I get. Even as even as we're reading it, it's like it's the only thing I can think of. And I came to the conclusion that if my logic uh, doesn't agree with it, then it's probably right spiritually. So yeah, okay. So there's that. Yeah, because that it, verse forty one. Moreover, demons came out of people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. Yeah, it was like, hey, no spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's three and a half years left of this movie. Yes. <laughs> Cut it out. People are got to come to this on their own. And we do. We have to come to it on our own. Our faith is not hereditary. You are not a Christian because your parents were Christians. Uh, if you think that's where your salvation is, Spoiler alert, it's not. Uh, Get your own faith. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. I was going to get really ugly. I mean, have your own faith. And there's so many instances of this as we go through Luke, uh, just to to wrap this up. Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. You'll see this several other times. We see Jesus get away to a solitary place. and in almost every single instance, it gets ruined by the people were out looking for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they came to where he was, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And right here in Luke 4 is echoes of the end of Jesus' life, particularly when you look at like John fifteen sixteen. I know it's in there somewhere where he goes, it's good that I leave. So that the Father can send you the Holy Spirit, who will comfort all of you and be with you everywhere and all the time. Jesus is like, look, I gotta, I can't stay right here. I gotta do these other things, and I gotta get done with it because once I'm done, the Spirit, my Spirit, the Spirit of God, gets to be with all of you. It's, I don't know. That's all. It's it's kind of foreshadowing. It's a term they use in writing of what's going to happen. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And that wraps up Luke 4. Luke 5 is, uh, Luke's a little out of order because Luke 5 starts out with Jesus calling his first disciples, even though we know he was already with Peter because he healed his mother-in-law. So, can't wait to hear Luke 5. Luke 5.